Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Weather Claws. Prep for winter like a pro with Weather Claws, the smartest traction system for your car this winter. Super easy to get, installs quickly and easily. You don't have to move your vehicle, don't have to remove the tires. Takes three minutes. Road and vehicle friendly. Go to weatherclaws.com, get 20% off using the promo code CANADALAND. Justin Ling, features editor for Vice News Canada. Hey. Dude. Yeah. It was uh, a night. We'll talk about Tuesday night. We will talk about uh, CSIS. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about the CBC's new opinion site. I have some hot takes on that. (laughs) Welcome to Canada Land Shortcuts. This episode of Shortcuts is brought to you by Arjun Basu, Eva Safir, Adam Benzen, William McKimmy, Glenda Gropp, Danielle Lemon, Eric O'Donnell, and Nancy Payne. Nancy, why did you decide to be awesome? You know, I'm a journalist too, and I think it's important that journalists get reported on because we need to know how it feels. This episode is also brought to you by FreshBooks. God, I wish I had actually FreshBooks. I need to really streamline my accounting. It's a bit of a mess right now. Uh, Thank you for that impassioned endorsement. Um, It is a wonderful way to keep your books uh, and to do so very simply. It is a great tool, Canadian-made tool for small businesses and freelancers. You can try it out for free for 30 days. You can see their new top-to-bottom redesign. And the bottom line here is that it's going to save you a lot of time. It's going to get you paid quicker. 
you'll be in and out of the part of your job that you don't want to do very quickly and back to the part of your job that you do want to do. It is like an accounting department for organizations and freelancers that don't have accounting departments. Check it out. Go to freshbooks.com slash Canada Land. Try it out for free for 30 days. When you do decide to become a customer, tell them that Canada Land sent you. You will be doing us a favor. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. I don't even, uh, you know, we record this on Wednesday. People are listening to it on Thursday. So I'm still reeling. I mean, you know, the part I'm kind of grappling with today is, you know, just what we need to do to reorient the world to get in line with Trump. I mean, like, Justin Trudeau is going to have to go and renegotiate NAFTA if Trump really is going to follow through what he promises. We're going to have to, re like, redo NATO. I mean, you know, Donald Trump, and you, we forget some of the things he said. Donald Trump was of the opinion that Russia didn't annex Crimea. Like, I mean, everything needs to change now. Like, this is just, like, a whole new world order. This is, like, this is insane. I had this awful feeling throughout. I'm not trying to claim any. Yeah. I, I saw it coming. But I, I just was, I was reading what Paul McLeod said when he said, you know, I just, it just feels like before Trudeau, like the modeling is all off because it can't account for just the sheer force of the celebrity. Trump is the most famous man in the world. And that turned into votes, you know. How do we do our jobs tomorrow knowing that what we do doesn't matter anymore? I mean, this is the fundamental thing. I was talking with some reporters about this this morning. How do you, how do I, how do any of us go into the office, into the newsroom, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, Thursday morning, 
and deal with this. I mean, knowing that we've reported a dozen sexual assault allegations against this guy, knowing that he is under investigation, possibly for fraud, knowing that he pulled money out of a charitable organization and dumped into his own campaign or bought himself portraits of himself, knowing that his policies are, you know, factually dangerously incoherent, knowing that this guy has said what he said, the fact that he didn't even get remotely the level of scrutiny um, that he was should have given our work, how do we keep doing it? And that's a really dangerous and terrifying thing that I don't think we've ever had to really question yeah. about our profession in a long time. And it makes you want to just pack it up, right? And like just go live in Belize. Now, here's the really simple thing I want to say. We fucked up this campaign so fucking royally. It's unbelievable. The media. The media. Yeah. I, and the media, I mean, the, the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, the media, the the pundit. I mean, everybody fucked this up. I mean, regardless of whether or not you're happy with the outcome or not, you have to realize everything about this election was just fucked up. I mean, um, you know, the level of scrutiny of Hillary Clinton's email showed just a breathtaking willfulness to try to create equality of coverage where there shouldn't be any. And that's all of our faults. That's the public's fault. It's everybody's fault. And yet that still assumes that what we said mattered in the slightest. Half of the American voting base voted for Donald Trump. I'm sure a lot of those people still picked up their morning newspaper and still saw that their morning newspaper endorsed Clinton. Because every newspaper, I think except for one, was Sheldon Adelson's paper in Las Vegas. Endorsements, he said. I know, endorsed endorsed Clinton. (laughs) And every every reporter, you know, from the Klatsky to the AP reporters were – you know, clamoring to cover, you know, the various insane things that Donald Trump said. Now, why didn't that matter? Okay, so I think the top line issue, and you actually heard people say this again and again and again, I think his comments towards women are dangerous. I don't think he knows what he's doing on the world stage. I think he's not good at foreign policy. But, and it's always the but, the caveat, he's going to bring jobs back. And it's this it's this acknowledgement of, yes, this could bring America to ruin. Yes, he might be temperamentally unfit. Yes, this might be a problem, but NAFTA took my job away or, you know, a cheap Mexican labor took my job away or an immigrant took my job away. And that's what it comes down to. And so these people are saying, you know what, journalists, you're right. I hear you. Good point. But I need to feed my kids. And so how do you as a journalist reach those people? And maybe that's a, you know, we need better Financial, economic reporting, maybe, you know, maybe that's part of it. I I don't know. I think we did reach them and I don't think they cared. And I'm going to say things that are even generous to them without making excuses for anybody. I agree with most of what you just said. If you are one of the millions of people who globalization has passed by, who has been, it's true when he says there is a political, global, financial elite that doesn't give a shit about you, he's right. And- I don't necessarily agree that those people believe him when he says, I'm going to bring those jobs back. I'm sure that they've been screwed over by politicians their whole lives. But he's the only politician who actually even is trying to represent them in a way that that seems like it might be something different. Some of these people voted for Obama. This is an evil thing that happened. And, and the forces that were stoked here, the result of this is that the world is a scarier place than it's ever been in my life. And I think it's because we ignored a lot of people who were suffering for a long time. Yeah, but here's the thing is that by almost every metric, the American middle class, lower middle class, uh, white collar working class are better off. I mean, by some metrics, they're not. By some metrics, yes, unemployment is still higher than it was uh, prior to the recession. Uh, Yes, some wages have stayed relatively stagnant. But overall, America right now is in a better spot than it was 
12 years ago. But this almost mouth-frothing anger journalist got to over, you know, incorrect things he said in speeches almost dwarfed the fundamental misconception of the Trump campaign, which is that things are really bad, things are getting worse, and things aren't going to get better because, and this is Hillary Clinton's fault for not really fighting this. It's somewhat journalist's fault for not really digging into this. Um, but there's not a lot of truth to this conception that the American economy is falling apart. If anything, it's chugging along pretty well. I don't know. I don't know, man. I think that people vote from the, for their what they perceive as their self-interests, and I think that there are a lot of people who have been left behind. I, I, think, like, I think my last thought on it is, you know, Donald Trump won... Brexit happened, um, you know, the far right in, 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 in France is gaining steam all because people expect this magic solution, right? Cancel NAFTA, leave the EU, uh, you know, shut down immigration. These solutions are nice and simple and sacrosanct and you get to say them and people get to go, yeah, that's what we need. The problem is that on every level, on every model, these things aren't going to work. And, you know, when you talk about fact-checking, we should have fact-checked those things a lot better before the election. Uh, maybe it wouldn't have made a difference, but yeah. I think our job is to give people the most accurate representation of current reality as journalists and the most accurate representation of what people in charge are promising to do. And I don't know. I just Maybe we didn't do a good enough job of that. You're still assuming a fact-based approach to things. I think that a lot of people kind of know that manufacturing jobs are never coming back and they wanted to say, fuck you. Oh, and no, they, I mean, and they you, said you, it. I think Brexit up, was a fuck you. Rob Ford was a fuck you. Donald Trump is a fuck you. If you throw up 20% tariffs on all on all foreign imports, oh, no, 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 manufacturing will come back. It'll just be wildly expensive, less well-made, and you're going to basically be uh, buoying an economy that shouldn't exist. And, and in saying that, I still think you're four steps of logic beyond most people who voted for Donald Trump. Look, we have to do our jobs. And I think that the only answer to this, the, the Canadian response uh, is to just take a nap, is to take a nap and to use the hashtag proud to be a Canadian. Oh, don't get smug, uh, Canada. I fucking hate the smug Canadian. Uh, like, listen, we're all frustrated. We're all doing a bit of like, what the fuck have you done? But this sort of, oh, well, at least we're up here in Canada. I hate it. I hate it. Oh, it, it's the ugliest thing. This is uglier than a lot of people. What you're 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 making a, a performance of your pride today. People are afraid today. People are afraid to leave their homes today. Like I don't want to push my pride that yeah. I didn't do anything you know to achieve. Keep your pride to yourself. Uh, let's do what we do here and, and talk about the Canadian Other media stuff. Canada's spy agency held an unprecedented news conference admitting they broke the law by keeping reams of private and personal information about Canadians. CSIS was found to be illegally storing and analyzing electronic data on an unknown number of Canadians for 10 years. Phone numbers, websites visited and emails of the friends, family and co-workers of suspected terrorists even though these people had done nothing wrong. Now, CSIS Director Michel Coulomb said today that they thought they could keep the data, but conceded, quote, it is now clear that the federal court disagrees. Okay, so this is your beat, Justin. Um, and this story, I think, is getting slept on because it broke shortly before the American election. And uh, the, there was almost like a sense of uh, people could get their heads around the spying uh, of uh, Patrick Lagasse, who will be on the show on Monday if people want to hear a bit more about that narrative. The cops spying on journalists people could figure out. This is huge, what we learned about CSIS. Am I wrong in saying that people who've been keeping an eye on surveillance of Canadians by our federal government, this is a major revelation? This might be the single 
biggest, most important revelation about CSIS ever. I mean, this is incredible. I mean, you're, you're hearing a lot of attempts to downplay it uh, from Ralph Goodell, the public safety minister, from uh, CSIS and CSIS director Michelle Colomb. 2005, somebody in CSIS approves this new program called the Operational Data Analysis Center. What this was supposed to be is a big server bank, a big farm for all of this data they've been collecting so they can basically develop new tools to analyze it and run uh, basically models to try to put together profiles of people who they might want to surveil or, or follow or get warrants on or arrest. So over the years, that center started taking in data that they were lawfully collecting, that they were allowed to keep. But what they started doing was collecting data around folks who were just tangentially involved with someone they were surveilling. So let's say, uh, you know, CSIS has a, a warrant on Jesse Brown. Um, somebody mistakenly calls you, Your no- their number is one off, and they say, hey, you know, oh, sorry, wrong number, bye. Their number, their name, their, potentially their incoming outgoing phone calls could be logged in a CSIS database. Now, under the law, the law clearly says they have to delete that information. They didn't. They took that information, they stuck it in this database, and they used it as a cross-reference point for any future investigation. So, you know, if five years down the line, that number comes up again in a different investigation, that person could be under, uh, even if it was just a random coincidence, could wind up under CSIS surveillance. Let me see if I understand you. If, if, if that person randomly calls me once, that one call is logged or, or suddenly they're trapped up in their entire... Well, we don't know. I mean, right. that one call for sure is logged. But, you know, we've heard from the NSA in the States that they've actually used a three-hop um, type of uh, authorization where they've used a simple phone call as evidence that further surveillance on that that person, the incoming call needs to be needs to be run. We don't know that was happening here, but at the very least, what this database was was potentially information on thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of Canadians, many of whom probably never committed a crime, were never under investigation, were never even uh, otherwise uh, wrapped up in a CSIS investigation at all, who have their information in this database, was being cross-referenced for whatever CSIS feels like doing. This is so obviously against the law that. I am flabbergasted they're even trying to defend this. They're making this case of it was legal to collect, therefore it's all right to store, which is really simplistic because they weren't just storing the data. It wasn't just being kept in boxes on a shelf. It was being kept in a database and actively monitored, uh, gone through, modeled to allow them to do future investigations. This wasn't an accident where they forgot to delete something. By keeping all of this stuff, using metadata and using these trails and and comparing them against each other, we're getting into like a big data space, but you can infer in the negative space tons of information about who's talking to who and where they even go. And you start to build an actual model of the entire population at a certain point. Like this was deliberate. They made this case of, you know, it's not content, it's metadata. Metadata is in many cases just as powerful as content. It could be GPS location, IP address, websites visited, Google searches, phone calls, text message records, you name it. It could be all of these things. Now, now we know this because the court came down and said that this was illegal. And this wasn't just a question of CSIS interpreting the law differently than than a, a judge. Uh, the court said you were hiding shit from us. They weren't calling it metadata. They were calling it associated data just so no other sort of orders around metadata would, get, would, would catch this program. I mean, you know, they even said they thought about telling the federal court in 2006 and they chose not to. Uh-huh. 
I don't even think they told Ralph Goodale in the last year. The most of the evidence we have kind of suggests that he was kept in the dark, that the Attorney General of Canada, Jody Wilson-Raybould, in her office went to court to defend CSIS. But uh, based on the statements from Ralph Goodale and the statements uh, CSIS made in court, there was no sort of actual briefing or acknowledgement of this program. This program was deeply secret. If you do a search for the Operational Data Analysis Center, there's scant mention of it anywhere. One oblique reference from a report from five years ago, uh-huh. one posting for a, uh, for a job, and that's about it. This program officially didn't really exist. This is not the first time that CSIS has been smacked by the courts for overstepping their bounds. I remember a conversation with Colin Fries where he touched on similar themes where ministerial directives were given to CSE and CSIS that the ministers, when Colin asked them, didn't seem to understand what they had okayed. We're almost getting like a sense of federal surveillance operating in complete autonomy without any oversight. And I mean, five years ago, six years ago, it came out that uh, basically, you know, CSIS was told by the federal court, you do not have permission to do foreign intelligence collection. You are not a foreign intelligence body. You are a domestic body. CSE is the Foreign Intelligence Collection Service. So CSIS thought, okay, you know, the court told us we can't do this. They didn't explicitly tell us we're not allowed to track, to use other agencies to do that. So CSIS was in contract with CSE and the NSA to do foreign surveillance, potentially on Canadians, on non-Canadians abroad. They didn't tell the court. The minister seems to have approved it. When it got back to the court, the court said, this is a flagrant, obvious, painful ignorance of what I've already told you you can't do. So the court said, you are absolutely verboten from doing this anymore. So what did the federal government do? The federal government drew up a piece of legislation, Bill C-44, that authorized CSIS international spying. Uh-huh. So CSIS was told they couldn't do something, did it anyway in breaking the law. So what did the government do? Rather than reprimand CSIS, it gave them the authority to do the illegal thing they were doing in the first place. I'm almost certain that sort of thing is going to happen right now. Right now, the the federal government has uh, a national security consultation that's online. It's asking average, everyday Joe Schmoes and Jane Front Porch to come together and give their opinion on you know high-level CSIS and CSE uh, surveillance operations. In the background documents for that consultation, it suggests all sorts of things that nobody seemingly is asking for. A specific warrant that would force somebody to decrypt their phone or email, uh, language that would install mandatory interception powers into all telecommunications companies, uh, language uh, around new uh, warrants for online or metadata interception or collection. Um, Basically, all the things that we saw in Bill C-31, Vic Taze's cyber-stooping bill from a couple years ago, has come back in the form of this national security consultation. And if you kind of read the tea leaves here, as I think I'm doing pretty correctly, Ralph Goodale is going to come in with a piece of legislation that purports to limit C-51 and is, in fact, going to expand it. Uh, That seems to be what's going to happen. They're going to talk about modernization and improving the law, but... Everything they've said thus far is about actually expanding the ability of CSIS, the RCMP, and CSE to collect and, and, and follow our information online. The the mixed messages are are many. Like, even within this court decision that smacks CSIS up and down, it says, but you can keep the data. Well, the federal court didn't know it actually had the authority to order the deletion of the data. And this, again, comes back to this really insane legal netherworld we exist in, um, where CSIS actually made the case that it that the federal court didn't have the authority to oversee its operations once a warrant has been signed, which thankfully the federal court rejected entirely. But it definitely speaks to how CSIS thinks it's allowed to operate. 
The court said, we can tell you it's illegal. We can't tell you what to do with the information. That's the government's job. So we expected Ralph Goodale to come out and say, I'll be ordering the immediate deletion of all this data. He didn't. He didn't say anything. We're basically allowing CSIS now to do its own internal review of what it feels like keeping, what it feels like deleting, what it thinks is illegal and what the, it thinks is not illegal. And that's going to be kind of the litmus test. We're going to allow CERC, the oversight body, the federal court might have some involvement in overseeing that. But generally speaking, they're looking C- pretty impotent with CSIS goes back to the shadows and decides to write its own house. Yeah. So anybody who's concerned about authoritarianism, uh, state surveillance, uh, government fascism. Get PGP, get Signal, and buy a house in the woods. And you don't need to look south for it either. No. Justin, this is the time on our program where we take a moment to duly note things that somehow made it past all the election coverage into our n- news streams this past week. Uh, Marketplace, CBC show, I think a wonderful thing to have, Marketplace. It does sort of investigative work from a consumer rights kind of a standpoint. They did an investigation with hidden cameras into our favorite topic here in Toronto, uh, real estate. And what they found is that realtors are screwing their clients and that it's endemic, it's it's across the industry, by representing both the seller and the buyer of a house. And what, what Marketplace did is they, they went and posed as somebody trying to buy a house and they said, hey, why should I use you as my agent in buying this house? And they caught on camera um, out of the 10 they went to, I think six of these realtors said, oh, you should let me represent you because I'm also representing the seller and I can make sure that there's no bidding war. Like if there's a bid that uh, that comes in, I can tell you what it is and you can give us a bid that's a little bit higher. So they're directly screwing over the seller uh, who could be making a lot more money, okay? So this is a great investigation, but the CBC blurs the faces of these realtors huh? in the documentary and does not disclose their identities. And says, we're doing this because the problem is bigger than just this handful of realtors. We're, we're trying to expose a problem that's across the real estate business. I asked them, like, uh, was that like a legal thing? Were you afraid of being sued? Like, no, we just felt like we don't want to make a few people the fall guys for this big problem. And, and, and I thought, well, there are people out there who actually are, are like still employing those realtors to sell their homes for them. Who would like to know who they are. Yeah, it feels relevant. It feels like you got you to show the faces. I mean... I don't know. I'm also – I get the argument that you don't want to vilify or scapegoat to the two or three people you happen to call up. I get that. On the other hand, it's not like, well, you know, we're going to keep a publication ban on these three murderers because there's a lot more murderers out there. I think Marketplace is like the visual aesthetic of blurred faces, to be honest. What do you got? I, I think maybe the thing I'm fascinated by is that there was a, a referendum on electoral reform in PEI. And PEI voted for proportional representation. They had a whole bunch of weird options. There was included. There's an option in there that I still don't understand. That would have been a world first, as best we can tell, in terms of electoral reform that PEI was considering. They didn't end up going for it. Uh, proportional representation uh, beat out first past the post by the 15, 10 points or so. Um, but turnout was so low that the premier of PEI is not sure he's going to respect it. And you can't blame him. Turnout really was about a third of the island in a, in an island that usually gets 70 or 80% voter turnout. Can so, you do that, though? Just throw it out? Yeah. I mean, referenda in this country, referendums, I always forget what the proper one is there, um, are not minding. I mean, they're, they're not constitutionally you know, enshrined. It's a, it's a publicit. You know, it's, it's a suggestion mm-hmm. for government. So 
no one quite knows what's happening now. And it, it's a really interesting kind of test drive for Justin Trudeau's promise to uh, to bring electoral reform across the country. Um, you know, he's kind of wavered on whether or not he wants a referendum. He thinks he probably doesn't, but he's not sure. It, it came up this week they're going to be sending postcards to every household in the country asking their thoughts on electoral reform. It looked like he was backing away from it for a second there. They kind of put one foot in, they put one foot out, and then they kind of shook themselves around a bit. Um, With it, a really lame, like, well, now that we're in power, people don't want that so much. Which is arguably the most arrogant thing I've heard a government say in a long time. Yeah, they they have to bring in some sort of electoral reform if they just just stream just you know, kind of go headfirst into uh, a ranked ballot that's going to vastly benefit the liberals over other parties that's going to be a problem yeah um, I think they have to bring this to a referendum and I think uh, if they don't it's going to be it's going to be nasty and understandably so I mean you have two parties that are basically going to have the knees taken out of them if the liberal party kind of forges ahead on a single type of electoral reform that the other parties don't want um so it could get real blood sporty real soon. And I think this PEI referendum is a little microcosm of that. Duly noted. While we're talking about JT, uh, I have to point out a long read by the Huffington Post Canada's Ottawa Bureau Chief Althea Raj, where she looked at Justin Trudeau's first year and gave it like a very multifaceted take by asking as many people she could amongst his friends his cabinet, his staff, tried to get his wife. She wouldn't respond. And that's it. That's this piece. A good cross-section of the Canadian voting base. It, it, it's a stunning piece of, uh, of fluffery. Like there's a huge list of all of his accomplishments. She uh, flags his low point in office as Elbowgate. There's no mention of things like, I don't know, the Saudi arms deal. Oh, like, the, you know, there's a dozen things you could. This is the person who runs the Huffington Post Canada's Ottawa Bureau assessing his tenure so far without speaking to one person from another party or one critic of Justin Trudeau. Listen, this government can can brag about many a thing it's done over the last year. It is going to get clobbered on a couple of others. I mean, um, you know, whether you're a deficit hawk, you just watch the government add another $80 billion to the federal deficit over the next 12 to 15 years, whether you are you give a shit about human rights abroad. The Saudi arms deal is a great place to start. The liberal government effectively misdirected the public repeatedly on how advanced that deal was. Yeah. Who was doing the deal? Human rights here, uh, how the uh, reconciliation file is actually going. I mean, and there's all sorts of things in the, in, in the Liberal Party platform that he just is not going to do. I mean, they've promised to end oil and gas subsidies. They basically decided they're not going to do that. They've promised to end the, the blood ban for gay men. They have not done that. They've done the exact opposite. They've actually made sure it's going to stay in place for the next at least the next year. Um, you know, there's all sorts of things they've just completely fallen down on the job on. And that's, every government does that. I mean, that is part of the course. Governments make promises. They don't keep them. Governments plan to do things. They screw them up. That happens. And then we write a report card. And then we write a report card yeah. about it. We don't necessarily, I mean, you know, I, it would be it would be weird to imagine a National Post feature on the Harper government in 2007 asking only Stephen Harper and a handful of cabinet ministers and Laureen Harper how they feel about the first year. I mean, I like Althea. I think she's done some great work. I don't know that this is definitely her finest story. Justin, I want to take a moment to thank our other sponsor, Casper Mattresses, who are just completely disrupting the mattress business. It needed disruption. If you have not heard of Casper Mattresses, this is going to blow your mind and change everything about how you feel about buying a mattress. You don't have to go to a big showroom and lie like a chump 
in your clothes on some mattress and pretend that you can make an informed decision. No, they figured it out. They got the best mattress. This is an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. It combines springy latex and supportive memory foam to create an award-winning sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. Time Magazine, no less an authority than Time Magazine, Justin, named it one of the best inventions of 2015. It is an award-winning mattress that won't disappoint, and this is what's revolutionary about it. They just mail it to you. They ship it to you for free, and if you don't like it, you try it out for 100 nights, they'll ship it to you for free anywhere in Canada, anywhere in the U.S. After 100 nights, you don't want it, they'll just take it back and give you your money back. It is made in America, which I know is important to you. Their prices are just way, way less than what you'll pay at any of these big box mattress shops. You will get $50 more off of that price. Another $50 discount if you go to casper.com slash CanadaLand and use the promo code CanadaLand. Terms and conditions apply. Justin, have you had a chance to look at uh, the new opinion vertical that cbc.ca has launched? I have. And I have some thoughts about it. <laughs> <laughs> Give me your opinion about their their opinions. Listen, um, you know, I love CBC Radio. I love CBC Podcasts. I love CBC's investigative team. I love the foreign bureaus. I don't know that I want the CBC to be expanding into a digital opinion space that it doesn't seem fully committed to being in in the first place. Listen, there's a whole place still left in the Canadian media market for newspaper editorials and for the suburbanites who read them. I don't know what CBC is doing. I don't know why they've conceptualized it this way. I mean, it's basically exactly what you got from the Huffington Post five years ago. The Huffington Post is moving away from, if anything. It's basically modeled off the National Post opinion side. And yeah, I, I like that they're going in there and they're trying to find some diverse voices to talk about diverse issues. But I don't know that that's what the CBC needs to be doing. I mean, yes, this is cheap for them to do. It's easy content. But on the flip side, I mean, can you imagine if they took you know whatever money they put into this and put it into a, a better investigative bureau? I mean, they're doing good. They could be doing way better on that front. To doing more local reporting. I mean, you know, the, the 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 local CBC radio in my hometown of Cape Breton that got gutted over the last 15 years, you know, they would love this money. I don't know that this is the best uh, comparative advantage for the CBC to be running with, considering they have a whole lot of other fronts they need to be kind of boarding up. I would rather they spend that money if they were, if what happened is that, they, and, and I guess this is true, they have a finite amount of money and they're deciding what to put it into. I would rather they put it into investigations and and regional reporting. I think there's no question that's what Canadians need. Like, we're in crisis. We need more regional reporting. It's fine. I don't mind them being in the opinion space. There's this big existential thing for them. Oh, we're supposed to be impartial. And in fact, they are violating their own rules. And that needs to be, I don't want to be like a stickler, like, like I don't care about that so much, but they do have, here's in their journalistic standards and practices book, our value of impartiality precludes our news and current affairs staff from expressing their personal opinions on matters of controversy on all of our platforms. So Neil McDonald, as far as last time I checked, is on their news staff. But then again, Michael Enright, who does an editorial be before every show, is on their current affairs staff, and he's been breaking that rule forever. And the fact that Rex Murphy's not on staff, so he gets to have an opinion, was always just a ridiculous loophole that, like, it, it, it's always been bullshit that you can't express an opinion on the CBC. I'm not crazy with the the execution of it. It's, it's It feels like their desire for balance, so they get somebody from the rebel, Sheila Gunn Reed, to write something. They get uh, journalist Ahmed Najdat to write, but you know, you get the, the minority voice to write about refugee issues. It feels a little bit on the nose and perfunctory. I don't, like, if I felt like, oh, this is exciting, these are opinions I haven't heard before 
from people I haven't heard from before. I could get excited about it. But with their, you know, like billion dollars plus that they're going to commission some op-eds for a few hundred bucks a piece. Who cares? Well, but here's the thing. So I, I think the loophole with CBC and, and their journalists doing opinion has been their journalists are welcoming and encouraged to give analysis. And I mean, you know, Rex Murphy analysis, generous, fair enough. But like, Daniel McDonald's have been giving analysis for a long time. I've even been paid by CBC to do analysis pieces, um, you know, and, and that's what, you know, CBC journalists go on TV and on the web and on radio to do. And I think that's fantastic because you know what? Good analysis is so sorely lacking these days. We have so much opinion masquerading as analysis that it's troubling. I mean, there's so much columnizing when there should be kind of thoughtful dissection of issues. And CBC could be the front runner in doing exactly that. I mean, if it was CBC analysis, I would be really happy. That's how they used to cover it. Jennifer McGuire, like a year ago or something, had like an editorial. She's the general manager of CBC News. She wrote, if you are a journalist and making a living as one, you are still obligated to draw a line between opinion and analysis. So she, she goes on at length about this, this this distinction that we're not doing opinion. We're not doing opinion. We're not allowed to do opinion. We do analysis. And then they announce, okay, well, now we're doing opinion. Yeah. And I mean, like personally, I cross the line between opinion and analysis all the time. If you've read any of my shitty opinions, you know that. And and here's the thing. You're the CBC. You can never really get behind a real hot opinion. I mean, and and maybe yeah. you shouldn't. I mean, like, let's actually go through the headline. I mean, it's still kind of in beta. But we have such, you know, scathing, hot, friggin' beliefs as memo to men. Your groping days are over. Fair enough. That's a great opinion. It's not all that interesting. We have Harper's former DCOM saying that we need to get Justin Trudeau a better plane. Yeah, I mean, I've always said the prime minister needs a better plane. That's a real hot take. Uh, there's a, uh, an article here about, you know, Vine ignoring its, uh, you know, its minority users. Great opinion. I read that two weeks ago. I mean, fair enough. CBC wasn't, my opinion wasn't around two weeks ago. That is almost a great analysis piece, though. I mean, that could be a piece that lives really well on CBC analysis. And yeah, then, of course, we have, hey, UN, leave media censorship to North Korea. The hottest opinion to exist on CBC opinion thus far Basically, a piece defending the rebel written by somebody on the staff of the rebel. And so if we're going to get to that point where CBC opinions where you to throw it all, all objectivity and just live in a world where people just say things at each other loudly, I don't know that we need more of that. No, we don't. But on the list of unnecessary things that CBC is uh, throwing money into where, where they should be putting it into news – uh, this is from a budget perspective and a boy that stupid perspective, kind of low on the list. But you know what? Let's let's go back to Trump for a minute. You know what was one of the worst parts of the American election? It was watching pundits on CNN analyze and read the tea leaves and open up the pig entrails, yeah, and just yell at each other, yeah. endlessly. And there's room for that. There's use for that. But we've now leaned on that so hard that it's it's hard to watch the news these days because it's no longer the news. It's a couple of minutes of intro to a story and very top line. And then it's three people kind of arguing about it in such a way that turns off every voter who doesn't follow this shit every day. It's painful TV and it's not helping anybody. I, I would love to hear the CBC defend these sort of programs because you can't. This is not helpful. They're not helping democracy. They hurt me right in the democracy. Yeah, and you're bringing it full circle. I mean, what do you do if you wake up in the morning and your whole world has ended and your very profession, the value of it is being challenged? You go back to basics and you do your job better than ever. And this is not going back to basics. Like We, we, need, to, we need to double down on fact. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have friends who, who, who sit there and do these panels, but I sit and watch them and it's like, you're not adding anything. 
you're just spinning it and we're just spinning spinning wildly into the vortex This has been your Canada Land Shortcuts. I hope you enjoy it. You can email me anytime. I will read what you send me and I will respond when I can. I'm at jesse at canadalandshow.com. We are on Twitter at CanadaLand. Justin, where can people find you? Uh, on Twitter uh, at Paul D. McLeod. Or uh, you can email me at justin.langatvice.com. Our website is canadalandshow.com. Our crowdfunding site, where we are in the final days of our crowdfunding campaign and hoping to get enough money to hire a new producer if we hit that goal, is patreon.com slash canadaland. I make this show with Katie Jensen. Syndication is handled by Russell Gregg. If you like what we do, please support us. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you.